Good morning. This morning I want to talk about something that I believe that is a struggle for just about every person. It may not be something that you struggle with all the time, but I believe that at least periodically we find ourselves with this battle to really feel close to God. I'm talking about a closeness that goes beyond a church building closeness, but something that we carry with us out into our lives each and every day where we feel like we are building a strong and solid and close relationship with God. You know, whenever we feel ourselves far away from God, I don't think it's typically because of some kind of malicious intent or some kind of willful neglect, but the effects of that can be all the same. I think about a time in which the people of God in the Old Testament were heading toward what would, have, would become their greatest victory in the history of the entire nation. And that is the taking of the land of Canaan. They were not yet a nation when Moses stands before those who were going to carry out the command and be obedient to God and take the land of Canaan. And he talks to them at the heart of their mission about what it takes to succeed. And in their purpose and in their mission, it's interesting that in the physical task that they were to undertake, he points to their devotion and to their closeness with God. In fact, he warns them about some of the things that would lead them away from a close relationship with God. He said it might be adversity, verse 2 and 3. It might be prosperity, verse 11 through 14. It might be a pride in themselves and their accomplishments, verse 14. It might be a failure to point to God and say, you're the cause of my success, verse 16. And it could be just as simple as they forgot God, verse 20. And God warns them of what would happen when they failed to nurture and develop their relationship with God. He says in verse 19 and 20, Just as the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so you'll be destroyed because you have not remembered the Lord your God. And so he encourages them to see the end result of a life that's lived without a closeness to God. But he also is fruitful and productive. He doesn't just point out the problem. He gives them a solution. He says, here is how you can maintain a devotion, a closeness that will help you to succeed in the objectives that I've given you and succeed in your individual lives. He says, in the first place, what you've got to do is remember that God is your God. It's a a personal relationship. Make that relationship personal. And so in the 20 verses that make up Deuteronomy chapter 8, he refers to God as the Lord your God some 10 times. He also says you've got to be careful to observe the word of the Lord, verse 1. He furthermore says that you're to remember that your life is lived, you proceed by the words of the mouth of God in everything, verse 3. And he also says be careful about what's going on in your heart. God allows good and bad to happen so that he can see what's in your heart, verse 2. He wants us to be cognizant or aware of the fact that pride can enter into our heart and become a barrier in our relationship with him, verse 14. God wants us to make sure that we listen to what we're saying to ourselves in our hearts, verse 17 through 20. George Barna, the man that does so much of the church growth statistics across religion, tells us that we can be seduced by the power of the tools that we have acquired. 
And so we can find ourselves spending several more times and hours a week in entertaining ourselves than we do in plugging into spiritual activities that bring us close to God, whether Bible study or prayer or activities like worship. He says that the average religious person spends twice as much money on entertainment than they do in giving back to God. And he says we can spend more time in a given week in surfing the net than we do in engaging with God in devotion. I believe that what Barna points out for the average person is a struggle that all of us face. And as we embark on this lesson this morning, I don't want you to think of this as a condescending rebuke from one who's got it figured out. Let me suggest to you that this struggle for personal devotion is real. It's one that we share. And it's one that we should examine, but it's one that God has supplied us with some solutions. And with that in mind, I'd like for us to notice three things. Our first observation this morning is to ask the question, what is personal devotion? What do we mean by that? And perhaps the best way that we can understand that is to define our terms. What does personal mean? It means of or relating to self. It is that which pertains to me as opposed to somebody else. It is also that which comprises my private individual life as opposed to the public or the professional life. And then we think about the word devotion. That means love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a cause, an individual, or an activity. And so when we're talking about personal devotion this morning, what we're talking about is the individual, private, love, loyalty, and enthusiasm that I feel for God in spiritual things, His things. So when I begin to examine what Scripture says about personal devotion, I can see it essentially falling into three different categories. It is personal Bible study and meditation and prayer. Now, by personal Bible study, what I do not mean is the study that we do to prepare for a Bible class lesson that we're presenting or the study that's done in preparation for a sermon. It is not simply the preparation that we do for a class in which we are a student in the Bible school. Nor is it simply spending 10, 15, 20 minutes in reading the Bible without comprehension or striving to understand what it means in context. But instead, when we, we think of personal Bible study, we're talking about the sweat equity that comes with opening up the Word of God, a section of it that we determine that we're going to study and understand it in its uh, context, that we're going to drink in its meaning and understand how it relates to what else is in that book, what is, else is God has said in His Word with regard to that subject. And then there's that idea of meditation. Meditation literally means to take pains with. And so the concept is to um, so engage ourselves in something that we're drinking it in. And by drinking it in, we're also looking for how we're going to apply it into our everyday lives. We're looking at how it and rehearsing it in our minds and seeing how it fits in the situation I find myself and how I can then carry it out. And then we think about prayer. Prayer is often well defined by the components that make it up. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about adoration. And we're talking about appreciation. And we're talking about asking. But when we look at prayer, we realize that it has in its nature that which is heartfelt, which is fervent, which is full of faith. It's not something that's mindless, that's wrote from memory, and that is devoid of a focus on the one to whom we pray. 
These are the areas in which we struggle, but they're foundational to how close or far away we feel from God. In fact, I believe it's a fair observation for us to notice second, to ask the question, how is it that we struggle? Why do we struggle with personal devotion? And in answer to that, I'd like to look at at least three things. Why do we struggle to be close to God and to invest in personal Bible study and meditating on the truths of God's Word and in the exercise or discipline of prayer? Well, I think the first thing that we might say is, Neil, I just don't have any time. There is no time in which to engage in these things. We live in a, a very busy time. But what can keep us from having the time to devote ourselves to personal devotion? Well, it could be that there's poor time management. When I think about time management, that's the principle of examining the amount of time that we have and then prioritizing it to see how to use it to its maximum personal efficiency. We have 8,760 hours in which to get everything done that's a task for us in a year's time. When you think about the time that we're given in a day, on the average day there's eight hours in which we sleep. No, not really, but some combination thereof. Eight hours in which we work. If you take those two together, 16 hours in which to do those two activities or maybe a little bit more, that leaves us eight hours. Eight hours in which to, to eat, to commute, to spend time with family, and to carry out the chores that we have in our daily lives. There's something called the Eisenhower Method that says that all of our time is divided into one of four areas. And as we look at the time that we're given, we are managing our time looking at those things in one of these four categories. First of all, he says, there is that which is important and urgent. The important and the urgent are the biggest things of life. And the things that fall on that list are really the smallest of all. The things that are important and urgent are those things that matter the most to who we are and what we become. The second area are those things that are important but not urgent. These are the big picture things. The big picture things are the goals that we have in life, and they deserve our quality time. They are our strategic plan. But then he says that there are those things that are not important but are urgent. These are the fires that we have to put out. These are the things that that, uh, chip away at our attention. They're the things that we feel like have to be done, but you know what is often the, the case is the things that are important are not urgent, and the things that are urgent are not important. The things that make up this third category, the things that are not important but are urgent, we need to get those things done as quickly as possible and delegate when we can. But then there are the things that are not important and not urgent. And these are the areas in which we waste time. I believe all of us, if we were to ask and were to try to give a church answer or a Bible class answer, we would say that Bible study and prayer and meditation fall in those first two categories. They are the things that are important and urgent. They are the things that are important but not urgent. But so often, by how we exercise our time, we indicate that they're in those lower two tiers of the time matrix. We don't put them in the place in which they belong. And so we squander our time. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul urges us 
to walk in a way that's right. After giving us 20 imperatives and how to walk spiritually, he then talks to us about walking wisely. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, he says we're to redeem the times because the days are evil. And just before that, he says that we are to walk not as unwise men, but as wise. And so in this commodity that God has given to us, this resource, he urges us to manage the time well. And managing it well means spending our time with him. Otherwise, we find ourselves asking the question, how can I be close to God if I'm not using my time for Him? But let's look at that a little bit more closely. We can find ourselves with no time because we spend time on the less important things, the things that are not important and not urgent. You know, this is tough. It's tough for me to say during football season. But when you talk about the average time that an American spends in watching television every day, I don't know what number would come to your mind. But do you realize that in whatever way that is, whether it's cable or streaming or in some other format on a screen, watching entertainment, that we spend the average American five hours every day. Did you know that if a person lives to be 78 years old, which is the average life expectancy in the United States of America, that they will spend 15 years watching television? Now, depending on where you are in the age spectrum, maybe you're looking at that with disdain and saying, how could an old fogey sit and spend that much time watching a screen? Well, what about those who use social media platforms? When you look at uh, platforms like Snapchat, Snapchat has... Uh, several million active daily users. And the average Snapchat user who uses that Snapchat uh, uh, platform on a weekly basis opens it over 30 times every day. TikTok is one of the newest platforms, almost a billion users, over 167 million daily users, and the average TikTok user spends 52 minutes each and every day. And in the leading demographic of users, those aged 4 to 15, they spend 80 minutes a day on TikTok. Pinterest doesn't measure the number of times a day that a person goes to its site, but says that there are 2 billion searches that are made every month on Pinterest. Instagram is a platform that has one of Facebook's subsidiaries. Six out of ten Instagram account owners open their app every day. And Facebook users, the average Facebook user, and it's the largest community in the world, depending on the statistics that you look at, perhaps three billion people worldwide spend an average of 58 minutes a day on that platform. And so there's an encouragement to us to look at our time and ask, how does that compare? The time that I use in entertainment and exercise and those sorts of things with time spent with God in prayer and Bible study and personal devotion. You see, God wants us to be people who come to Him and who spend time with Him. But so often we don't have time because of procrastination. I don't know about you, but my best plans, my my best resolves are reserved for tomorrow. We look and we think about the things that we need to do right now. What we tend to do are the things that are easy, the things that are comfortable, the things that are enjoyable. But the things that are more difficult, things like diet and exercise and saving and paying bills and resolving problems, we put that off. Solomon says in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not yourself of tomorrow because you do not know what a day will bring forth. 
And James says, go to now you that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and we will continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James 4 verse 13 through 15. I can find myself saying that I am going to engage in a closer walk with God through communication with Him. I'm going to do it later. And that later never comes. Sometimes this no time issue that we have is the result of the fact that we find ourselves over scheduling. We find ourselves over scheduling. We believe that we can get more done than we can. Or we have a hard time saying no to other things. And so the net result of this is that the time that's so precious, the commodity that God has made us stewards of, we have spent here and there doing other things we don't find ourselves in a position to be close to God. But it could be this. It could be that I lack a desire. What leads me to lose desire to feel close to God? Perhaps we feel disconnected from Him. Have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you yourself have said, I just don't feel close to God. Well, it's good for us to ask ourselves, what investment are we making into the closeness, the intimacy of that relationship. It also could be that we feel hypocritical. It's difficult for us to approach God if we're caught in a trespass, if we're deliberately living in such a way that's in defiance of the will of God. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says that that can happen. And thus when we find ourselves in that place, we can find ourselves feeling like it's inconsistent or it's not right for us to engage in Bible study and prayer because we're not living in a way. That's right. Jeremiah deals with an entire nation of people who felt this way. Jeremiah says, will you steal and commit murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and worship Baal and other gods whose names you know not and then come and stand before me in my house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to commit these abominations? Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 9 and 10. A few years ago there was a, a ring of drug dealers who were busted in New York City. And these guys were dealing in meth and heroin and cocaine, but they would regularly send texts and messages to their clientele, and they would say to them, don't call us after sundown on Friday, and don't call us before sundown on Saturday. They were busted for being drug users, but they still wanted to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They had their standards, they had their principles. Sometimes we can feel like there's inconsistencies in our lives. But you know what? If we find ourselves struggling, we also need to realize where the road to recovery lies. True, we may feel hypocritical because we're not living the way that God wants us to live, but it's God's Word and it's by leaning on Him in prayer that we can find ourselves coming back to Him. Or it could be that we find ourselves in a place where we lose our sense of need of it. I believe that when we disconnect ourselves from personal devotion to God, we can find ourselves losing the sense of desire in that relationship. Or maybe it is that we feel a sense of loss in faith in God and of His Word. It's, you know, a a byproduct of failing to come and to connect with Him that can cause us to get to that very place. But it could be... That it's not a fact that we don't have the time. Maybe we're trying to find the time to do that. And it may not be that we lack the desire. Maybe it is that we feel like we have no clue. 
Maybe we say, Neil, I, I just don't know how to engage in that. And if we find ourselves saying that, we find ourselves in good company. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, the disciples who have been walking with Jesus for some time come up to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, even as John's disciples also were taught by him to pray. May I encourage you that if you feel like you're struggling in that regard, to understand how to study the Bible for all that it's worth, or perhaps if you don't know or you feel like you don't know how to pray, Reach out to somebody that you see as a spiritual advisor or mentor. Reach out to our elders or to the preachers. Somebody who can help you to develop a plan of study and of prayer. May I suggest this to you? So often we make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. If you want to understand about prayer, come to God and talk to Him. If you want to understand about uh, His Word, come to His Word And begin to drink of it. May I observe with you a third thing? How do we improve it? How can we win in this battle, this struggle for personal devotion? This is not exhaustive, but let me mention three things. First of all, what we can do is adjust our priorities. Find a time in the day when you can study God's Word. A time when there aren't distractions and when there aren't responsibilities. I don't know when that time is in your day. But carve it out and make the use of the time that you have. So often we find ourselves in our vehicles going from here to there in the course of the day. Perhaps we can listen to the Bible on audio or uh, find our prayer time as we're driving from point A to point B or while we're exercising or we're engaging in some other activity when God's Word can be that which we absorb. As we look at the things that are important in our lives, if we see this as a lifeline, we'll find a place in our lives. There was a young ensign who was about to finish his first overseas tour of duty. And as such, he was given the honor, the privilege of taking the ship out of port. He was snapping out his uh, series of commands and there were sailors abuzz all over the deck of the ship. And very quickly he got out of the channel. There was even talk that he had set a record for efficiency and time. But the captain wasn't so pleased. He sent him a message in which he says, I want to commend you for how well you have done your uh, underway exercises. But perhaps next time you will wait for your captain before you set off. I think as we look at our days, before we go into that day, let's not take off in our day without having the captain of our salvation with us. But also we will learn to love it. Something happens When we engage in a heartfelt devotional life with God, we'll feel like the psalmist. The psalmist in Psalm 119 looks at life in the Word of God and he uses some ideas or some superlatives that we can appreciate. He says, I delight in the Lord, verse 10. He says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, verse 11. He says, I long for your testimonies more than all riches, verse 14. He says that I delight in in it and I'm crushed with longing for your ordinances at all times, verse 20. Look at all 176 verses of that psalm and you will see the love that comes in being immersed in the Word of God. You know, there are going to be times in your life when you face something, certainly so often we have, in which something is bigger than us. Maybe it's something that concerns our spouse, or maybe it concerns our children, or maybe it concerns a major life decision. 
And in that we have appealed to God and we have prayed for Him to help us. And we have seen the end result of that. Or maybe we find ourselves in the Word of God and as we have studied it more deeply, we have seen it come to life and we have seen how it is applied to our everyday lives. You know, it's true in Kentucky as it was in Colorado that the importance of drinking water. You know, when you begin to study and see how much water that you need to drink, they say that you need half the number of ounces as you have pounds of weight. But what happens is if you don't drink water like you're supposed to, you can lose your desire to drink. Even though there's a connection between the symptoms that you feel of dehydration or loss of hydration and the lack of drinking. But something happens when you begin to drink water like you're supposed to. It actually makes you thirstier. Spiritually speaking, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's going to be a greater desire that we feel for it. Then also we've got to take the steps. There are some tangible things that can be done to help us to build a devotional life. May I suggest to you that if you don't do this, to start a prayer journal. Write down the things that you are praying about. And keep adding to that list and keep up with that and chart that over a period of time. And write down how God has answered that prayer. It won't always be the way that you want it. It won't always be in the way in which you expect it. But it will be an amazing and faith-building thing to look back over that prayer life for a period of time and see how God has been at work in the things that you have been praying to Him for. Or maybe print off a chapter of the Bible and sit down with that and make some observations about it. Underline, draw connections and to see how that word fits together. One of the most encouraging things that I've seen lately is something that was started not long ago. Hiram started with the college students on version uh, a, a time to study the Bible together, to make observations, to kind of hold one another accountable. And then through that, to be able to encourage the others in what they're seeing and what they are reading in God's Word. How much more of that can we do in which we connect ourselves together by the Word that we are reading together? We, we can take steps, and those steps can make such a discernible difference in our lives. There was a woman in Dusky, Turkey, who was a victim of an earthquake that demolished that little town. So many people died in that. She found herself trapped without food and without water for five days. The entire area where her house was demolished was destroyed. She herself would have been killed, except for the fact that her closet in which she was hiding was kept intact. And so with all the debris and with all the problems, she was able to survive because her closet became her haven. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, Jesus refers to that place of personal devotion as that inner closet, that place in which we go, in which we can find protection and we can find help for us and our desire to be close to God. Do you struggle with personal devotion? I know that I do, and I know that I've said that I just don't have time to do that. And there have been times where I have not felt the desire for that. And there are times in which I needed to learn and grow and how to do it more effectively. May I encourage you to find somebody to help hold you accountable, to find the time in which to do that, and find the benefits that surely come in investing and building a close relationship with God. That generation that went in in Moses' hearing in Deuteronomy chapter 8 did the incredible 
relying on God to do what they themselves could not do. When we look at the objectives that are out before us congregationally and individually, they are beyond us. We can't do it produced based on what we can do. We need His help. We need His help to be the kind of people that He wants us to be and to reach people who are looking for Him. In the Bible, there are several occasions where it is said that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, several times in the book of Hebrews... The point that's being conveyed in those passages is that as we find ourselves on this earth in need of a mediator, of a go-between, of one to represent us, to be our advocate, to be our go-between, there is Jesus sitting there having the ear of the Father on His right hand, on the place of prominence. And He is speaking for us. In one passage do we read in Acts chapter 7 and verse 57 where our Lord stood up. Jesus stood up in Stephen's last moments. And I wonder, the difference between that and those other passages is that Stephen is about to lose his life and Stephen's about to come home. Stephen, one who had built a relationship with him in this life, was about to leave this life and our Lord was ready to receive him. How's your relationship with God this morning? Perhaps it needs to be better. Realize that he is as an advocate and a go-between, one who stands ready to intercede for you. Perhaps you're ready to respond to his grace and obedient faith. Or maybe as a child of God, you need him to be that who advocates for you this morning. If you're a child of God who needs to be restored to him, I would encourage you to consider the great love that he has for you and respond to that by making that need known. If you need to respond to this invitation, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?